0: Good afternoon, it's Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, June 26, 2015, and back by popular demand is author Kristen Kaufman. Kristen is joining us today to talk about her latest book, Is This Seat Taken? It's Never Too Late to Find the Right Seat. Kristen, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Chickie. I'm simply delighted to be back. Well, tell us about uh, where you've been since your last book, and, and I was just sharing a little story off uh, off air about uh, the impact that your book had on me and, and how I used it in a in kind of an odd way in a, a merger situation where I was speaking to uh, the leadership teams of, of both groups, and I was actually speaking to about... 250 people and uh, took a couple of copies of your book and and ripped out a page, uh, you know, and put it on each seat and was trying to help people understand, um, you know, how those random encounters that they had even within their corporate life and the things that they had learned really brought – you know talents to a business that everybody needed to recognize so i am just so excited to hear about your new book Um, but but tell us a little bit actually for those who didn't hear the first interview back in 2012 that we had why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first
1: and then we'll,
0: we'll dive into the new book
1: okay so in a nutshell um you know i live in dallas texas now but i'm originally from hot springs arkansas so i'm a small town southern girl um, I was basically reared in corporate America, so prior to me um, becoming a full-fledged entrepreneur back in 2007, I had three different um, executive stints in three different publicly traded companies. The first was with Hewlett-Packard Company, which is really where I cut my teeth for the first 20 years of my career, um, ultimately you know, starting as a sales rep and ultimately leaving. I was running um, a $3 billion top-line revenue business for HP, And then I left HP and went into the software field, and um, fabulous opportunity in Austin, Texas, and did that uh, for about four years, give or take, and then um, left corporate America the first time to actually work underneath Mayor Bloomberg up in New York City um, in his school reformation effort. And I was part of the Leadership Academy where we were teaching basic leadership principles to the 1,200 principals in New York City. Absolutely fantastic experience. Probably oh, wow. one of I'd, the most. Print- I don't remember
0: that part of your story.
1: Well, it was. I'll tell you, it was wonderful, Chickie. It was. Um, I had been sick, and I actually needed to leave Corporate America to to get well, basically. And my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Noel Tishy, had been hired by Mayor Bloomberg and Chancellor Joel Klein to build the Leadership Academy in New York, and he needed two publicly. Uh, two private sector executives to basically help him, and I was one of the ones he chose, which was really just a it was a life-transforming experience for me. And I did that for three years. And then, frankly, because I needed um, health insurance, I went back to work for the last time in corporate America at United Health Group, and I was a vice president there for um, the last couple of years of my corporate career. And then in 2007, went out on my own and started Alignment, Inc., um, which is a very unique consultancy. We provide leadership consulting and leadership coaching to um, primarily publicly traded large companies and their boards of directors um, to basically help them get aligned um, around mm. whatever their mission is. You know their teamwork, their dynamics, et cetera. And I've been doing that
0: for you know since two thousand and seven, and have just loved it. Loved every minute of it.
1: Well, that so is in so nutshell, interesting,
0: Kristen, mind. because we we have just uh, done a series about board membership and how women uh can you know get on boards and you know what to do when you're on a board and and we actually last week in our call talked about this whole issue of getting people in alignment and what happens if you're on a board of a company that changes direction and you know how how do you uh You know, how how do you figure out what to do moving forward? So that is so interesting that that is a piece of what you do because I, you know, I think it's one thing to get leadership teams aligned, but I have seen when a board and the leadership do not agree, uh, it's just disaster. It is a disaster.
1: It is a disaster, and of course, that's all around alignment. You know, that's all about getting them mm-hmm. focused in the same direction, and frankly, knowing when it's time for you to leave. You know, knowing when oh, you're yeah. not. You know, when it's time for you to exit stage left or stage right. And um, it's been a just a great experience for me. I've learned as much about myself, I think, as I have just the profession of leadership
0: development and leadership coaching. So it's been great. Well, I think that's the wonderful thing about the. Um, the consulting profession, and you know, I've been a consultant for 19 years now, and you know, every single engagement is a, a lesson for, for me, and you know, just like these radio show interviews as well. I mean, I just have this perpetual uh, MBA going on of, of all of the different <laughs> people that I interview, and it, it's just um, you know, for for those people who are in a company and, and are wondering whether they would enjoy the consulting field, uh, I think that's one of the greatest benefits of our job is is that perpetual learning of what goes on around us.
1: Yes, I agree. And the diversity, the diversity yes. of experiences, which is wonderful too. Right.
0: So um, give us just a thumbnail of the first book, and what was the catalyst for writing that book? And then we'll talk uh, about the latest edition. Okay.
1: Well, the first book um, was entitled, Is Seat Taken? The Random Encounters That Change Your Life. And I really happened upon that title and that whole book very um, accidentally, even though I don't really believe in accidents. I actually was going to write a book about the topic of alignment, um, because I believe so wholeheartedly in the concept of alignment, which I define um, loving what you do, being good at what you do, and most importantly, having it tied to something greater than yourself. But as I began to write that book, Chickie, I actually was bored writing the book. <laughs> I thought, I'm bored writing this book. No one's oh, going to want to wow. read this book. Is that hysterical? So I went back to the publisher and said, I have an idea for another book, and I would really like to share stories of people that I have met through the course of my um, global travels, the people that have really affected me and taught me things through their incidental encounters, which, of course, I don't believe are incidental at all, right? And they said, well, great, so why don't you give us a couple of the stories and we'll let you know if it passes muster. So I wrote these these stories and they loved them. So that's how the book came about. And it is a collection of stories ranging from taxi drivers to bartenders to – Little girls in Nepal, um, just a very diverse collection of individuals who crossed my paths, who taught me something through their um, through their interactions with me. So that's basically what it is, and it's um, it it was definitely a soul driven book.
0: Right, right. So here we are. Um, you know, that was 2012. Here we are in 2015. And and now you've got this this book and and the subtitle on this one is it's never too late to find the right seat and yes. you know I know within the executive girlfriends group we've had so many of our members um, who have been in one. Role maybe for several companies within the same industry for so long, and then those companies uh, you know decide they're going to do a mandatory retirement and you know they they clean house at a certain level and and whether you know it's it's uh, appropriate or not, they find themselves uh, out and wondering you know. They should go. And I, I just spent uh, the night last night in Miami with a good friend who, you know, has gone through that. And now, you know, nearing sixty, she's trying to figure out, you know, is it too late? Am I going to find the right place and something that is going to fulfill me? So, so what was the spark about this book? Yes, very similar to the
1: story you just shared. I run across people, and I'm sure you do as well all the time you know I'm 53 years old um, and I run across people all the time who have in fact been risked you know they have been um, the victim of an unexpected layoff or they are in a company and they are miserable (laughs) they are not happy anymore it's not fulfilling to them anymore and yet they're afraid to leave because they think oh my gosh you know I'm over 50 I'm not really hireable you know I what am I going to do? And is it too late? And of course, that was the impetus is that I don't believe it's ever too late to find the right seat. I believe as long as we're on this planet, Chickie, we have a reason for being here. And as long as we have breath, you know, we have a way in which we are to be contributing in the world. So that was the impetus for the book. And I wanted to anchor it by finding key people, some are famous, some are not famous, that basically, what we know about them is what they created in some cases in the last five to six years of their life. And it just was so inspiring. I was so inspired researching for this book that, you know, I just, it's, it's very, very um, invigorating to read stories of people, Chickie, who are over 65 and in one case 85, who literally have invented the chapter that we know most about them, right? Right. And I wanted, and I wanted to basically give the backstory of these people and how they came to be
0: and how they became so successful late in life. Right, and you've got a lot of names uh, in the book that many of us would would recognize. You know we're not going to have time to go through all 15 of the stories that you have uh, captured here, but I would love to hear uh, you know just a couple of your favorites. And I know that's asking like you to tell me which of your children uh, (laughs) you know is your favorite, and and that each one is a favorite for a different reason. But you know perhaps just the ones that stuck with you the most as as you were writing this.
1: Well, I'll tell you the one I can share several, but the one that led me to want to write the book is a name that most of us that are our age will know and that's grandma moses but what i've been fascinated um as i've gone around the country speaking about this but grandma moses is not a name that's familiar to a lot of young people Mm -hmm. um they don't they don't even know who she is well her story is fascinating because i don't think i knew anything about grandma moses other than she began to paint late in life what i didn't know was that she had buried every single child Every single child. She had 10 children. Wow. She buried every single one of her children before she passed away. She was the last living person in her family. She buried her husband, all of her siblings, and I, every child, which to me, burying one child is almost hard for me to fathom. Burying all of your children is you know, is mind-boggling. So her story, in addition to creating success late in life, is one All around resiliency, courage, faith, um, and it's just a very inspiring story. The second aspect of her story, which I found fascinating, is that she stumbled into painting, which is, of course, what we know her for, um, because she had arthritis. She could no longer hold her pen that she did cruel work um, with, and her, her sister said, well, you know, Grandma Moses, why don't you consider holding a paintbrush? Because the diameter is wider, and you can fit it between your arthritic knuckles, and it will right. be a way for you to contribute. That's how she stumbled into painting at age 87. <laughs> and Amazing. then, of course, she began to paint, and she did so where she would sell these um, little craft paintings at craft guilds and um, thrift stores, etc., in her little town of Hoosick Falls. And she had leftover paintings that did not sell, and this woman said, I'll put them in this drugstore, and we'll just keep them there in case somebody wants them. Five years later, Chickie, a traveling salesman goes to Hoosick Falls, stumbles across them, buys all of them for like a whopping dollar apiece, takes them back to New York, shares them with the gallery owner, and the rest is history. So, you know, there's so many lessons in that life story. You know, out of something horrible comes something fabulous, which, of course, was the arthritic situation. Right. Um, it was an incidental encounter, in this case this traveling salesman, who stumbled across these paintings, who ultimately led her life on a new trajectory. So just a lot of lessons in that story, and I think it was the impetus for me to write the book because I found her story so remarkable.
0: Well, the other one I would love to- to hear about is uh, the one chapter that you call overnight success, and and we know that most overnight success stories in this country uh, are not, in fact, overnight. That overnight can actually take uh, a fairly long time, and and perhaps akin to the seven days that it took to create the earth. I mean, I feel like my overnight <laughs> success is coming any day now, right?
1: <laughs> and, as as a that.
0: technologist and an inventor, I just know it's around the corner. Uh, and this this name is one that people should know. Uh, some may not, but uh, tell us the story of Ray Kroc. Yes, so Ray Kroc, of course, he is the the founder and CEO of
1: McDonald's, and you know his story. Um, it, it is a remarkable story as well. It's all about. Um, having the courage to uh, jump, he very late in life, you know, post the age of 50, he was a traveling salesman. You know, he sold mixers basically for a living. And he made the decision very late in life that he wanted to buy a little fast food drive-in, which is what he did. And he bought it from the McDonald Brothers. And um, most people don't know that. I mean, I don't know if they even knew that McDonald's was an actual person, but it was. It was. A, a, they were two brothers, the McDonald brothers, and Ray Kroc bought that initial fast food drive-in uh, from McDonald's way back in you know 1937, give or take. Right. And he, at 53, he he did that, and um, and then of course the rest is history. He had the courage, which I think is a, is a theme by the way of all of these people that I wrote about the courage to pursue what he wanted to create and how he wanted to contribute in the world. And he, he swung for the fences, you know, he bought that, um, that fast food chain. And in the first year he continued to sell franchises. He sold 18 franchises in that first year. And of course it took on a life as we all know, and it became the the largest fast food chain in the world. And, um, he did all of that in the last 20-some-odd years of his life, which, again, to me, to do anything post the age of 50-something to that scale is pretty right. darn amazing, right?
0: Absolutely. And um, so his,
1: he's a role model, you know, and he – um, but he laughs at it. He says, "You know, everybody says he was an overnight success," and he said, "Well, thirty years is a long
0: overnight." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Well, and and you know, I think that the the story is really about the determination of of entrepreneurs uh, because they don't have the huge. Um, you know you talked about the folks that you had worked for and many of those companies had very deep pockets and so when yes. a new idea comes out Um, you know, there's a lot of latitude to test and, you know, and the people who are taking the risk per se inside are still getting paychecks every week, whether or not the project succeeds. And, you know, that that really was kind of the first half of my career. I got to play on other people's money. And, uh, you know, now that I've been playing with my own money, I do it quite differently. (laughs) Well, you do absolutely.
1: and you know he he just had that courage, and of course, he was also very smart, um, as I'm sure you'll attest, you know that you have to surround yourself with really smart people, which he did. Um he played to his strengths, but then he surrounded himself with people who could complement um, his strengths, and he rewarded them. He said one of his greatest uh, greatest successes from his life's perspective was helping other people be successful and achieve All that they can achieve as well. Mm. So I I love that because he was very generous in his, um, well, his whole model. His whole business model was all around generosity and giving people the tools to be successful. And that's why he franchised McDonald's, right, is to help other people um, achieve wealth and, and
0: financial freedom as well. Very very interesting. Well, there's another name that everyone uh, again should know, and that, that's the name Harlan Sanders, and you call him Kentucky's unlikely Colonel. Tell us his yes. story. Well, you know, okay.
1: So Harlan Sanders, of course, was the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken, and what I found fascinating about Harlan Sanders is he went bankrupt not once but twice.
0: You know, he oh, wow, he was yeah he was that. not
1: a overnight success either. Right. He he actually had a very um, tumultuous childhood. And frankly, a very tumultuous life. He he lost one of his children. His his son passed away, uh, relatively late in life for him. I mean, he it, it wasn't an infant when he died. He was you know a, a teenager when his when his his son was a teenager when he passed away. But he went aw- he went bankrupt twice. But again, common themes. He got his start in business through a random encounter. Actually. A person who picked him up as a hitchhiker <laughs> the man who picked him up on the side of the road offered him his first opportunity and that was to become a, um, a basically a, a service station attendant and that was where he got his start is he um, had service stations and he gave them service above just pumping gas he he cornered the market on how to treat those people who would come to get gas in his service station better than anyone else. And so people would come to get their cars washed and get their windshields washed and basically have um, food and drink at his service station. And that was how he got his start. He began to fry chicken and serve it to people who would come to his gas station. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? And that was how he got his start. And he he basically says, you know, I was very persistent because – once he built up one gas station, there was a, a rerouting of a road, and he had to close that station. This was very late in his career, and he had to start over from scratch, Chicky, and he did so. And he wow. basically says that that persistence of never giving up is ultimately what made him as successful as he was. And again, as I mentioned, the other common denominator was these incidental encounters that every single person who affected his life was some incidental random encounter that crossed his path and he was smart enough to pay attention to it and to grab on to that opportunity and i just think
0: those those are lessons that we can all integrate into our lives. oh totally and i just had a meeting earlier this week with someone and I, i couldn't even remember who had made the introduction but i told him you know i have learned uh always to take the meeting because you just never know why you're being introduced to someone. Absolutely. Go on the blind date. mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Go on the blind date. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Uh, So uh, that brings me to Dorothy Wynn because the the title of her chapter is Providential Purpose. And I think, you know, as you look across all of the different people that you've included um, in your storytelling here, they each have that driving core purpose uh, of of what lights their fire and what gets them excited about getting up every day, even when things are still hard.
1: Yes. Well, you know, Dorothy Wynn, I actually met through the editor of my book. And my editor, um, I don't know if you read the, the foreword, but she passed away. Um, she was the editor for my first book and my second book. Ann Harper was her name. And she passed away the day that this second book went to the publisher. And um, it was a very, it, it, obviously, a very, very sad um, loss for me personally. But she was the one who introduced me to Dorothy Wynn. And Dorothy Wynn's story, again, is it's simply remarkable. She w- come, came from a very large family, um, it was a very dysfunctional family to her own admission. Um, she had been uh, sexually abused as a child. Um, she had been basically everything horrible that could happen to her as a young woman did happen to her. And she became a housekeeper. So she was cleaning houses in Corpus Christi. And uh, she had an epiphany one day when one of these women that she was cleaning her house made a comment to her um, you know, it sure would be cleaner if you would just use a toothbrush on those baseboards. And she kind of looked at her like, really, is this really what my life is coming to, is that I'm going to be using a toothbrush on baseboards? This is my life's destiny. And so she made the decision to remove herself from that situation. She had several other jobs, um, job experiences, but ultimately she felt a calling to become a hospice chaplain and that mm-hmm. is ultimately what she became and so she now finds meaning and fulfillment by helping people navigate the last few days and or weeks of her of their lives and so her definition of success has little to do with financial independence or accumulation of wealth. It has everything to do with the contribution that she can make in these people's lives and being of service to them through love and compassion. And I think her story is a beautiful story because the big takeaway is that we define success on our own terms. Society and the world does not define success for us. Right. Yeah. How she defines success may not be how you or I define success, but it absolutely is how she finds fulfillment and how she wanted to ultimately contribute in the world. Right. So her well, story I is beautiful.
0: It, yeah, it it really is, and it it is so in keeping, you know, with my own philosophy about the fact that the, you're right. The world looks at things truly upside down, and and if you take a look, I, I was. Uh, in New York on Monday, meeting with a, a potential partner uh, in our new venture and uh, you know I was sharing with them that you know we've got two components of our business model that really are not subject to discussion and and one of them is that we contribute ten percent of our revenue stream to the charity of choice of our client, and that in doing so, we want to make sure that we can show measurable results from that. Uh, in a new kind of balance sheet that says, you know, this business and these trips that have been taken and booked through our technology, um, you know, have in, installed this number of wells and saved this number of girls from human slavery, and have done, you know, these things that are life-altering, you know, for for the people, you know, who who they have happened to, whether it's around the world or, or in our backyard. Um, that that really is the measure of success, and it's not the traditional balance sheet that we're used to in business. And so you're right. Dorothy's story is one of incredible success and incredible legacy, but not necessarily driven by dollars and cents. That's right. She, You know, there's a phrase that I try to
1: use in my own life, and that is, you know, have a life that's measured by heavenly measure as opposed to just earthly measure. And, yeah, without a doubt. And that's definitely how Dorothy is measuring her life, no question mm-hmm. about it.
0: Well, I'd love to hear about a couple of the other names that we, we don't know, that they aren't household names. And, and I'm going to let you choose rather than, than, uh, than driving you. Um, okay. So, okay. so pick, a, pick another one for us because well, these are okay, just so, so inspirational.
1: Well, they are. Um, So Barbara Miller is one that I stumbled across when I began researching this book, and she is out of West Texas, um, and she was very similar to your friend who, late in life, she was actually over 60, she got laid off from a printing company um, out in West Texas, actually, in Amarillo and she wasn't really sure what she was going to do. She, you know, she needed to work. She didn't have enough money to retire in the way in which she wanted to. So she assembled a very scrappy team of 15 of her coworkers who also had been let go. They cobbled together a some seed money and then they opened a paper distribution company. Literally very late in life, you know, post the age of 60 and right. she she began to build that business and you know in their first year, they went from a small seed investment to a three million dollar revenue stream in the very first year and If that isn 't enough to make you want to get to know barbara miller <sighs> not not six months into that, she was then diagnosed with ovarian cancer oh, so wow. she was faced with a very um, it, at the time she did not realize it was terminal, but obviously it was a very severe um, diagnosis and She began to take her chemo treatments and endure numerous surgeries, et cetera, and continued to grow that company and grow her people. And it it was just an amazing story. And ultimately she sold that company um, for, you know, several million dollars. And she established a a very strong legacy in the town of Amarillo and certainly made the people that she worked with um, financially solvent as well. And she did all of that, you know, Post the age of 60, which I think is just very inspiring, you know, and, you know, coupled with a very um, debilitating cancer diagnosis. So
0: right.
1: it just her story, I think, is pretty remarkable and, and very uh, we run across people like that, Chickie, all the time. We just oftentimes they're not featured in a book. And that's the reason why I
0: wanted to feature right. some of these anonymous people in a book, because I think we can all learn from them. And Kristen, since I know that alignment is, is really the core of who you are and helping people get aligned, some of these stories sounds like you're trying to align us with really our foundational beliefs and really getting back the basics in understanding the importance of, you know, focusing on other people and helping them succeed, which one of the stories really does the best job of telling the kind of alignment that's necessary for businesses to succeed?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, I think all, all of the stories um, are different in that if, if you think about the concept of, the, of the, how I've laid out the book, each Uh, chapter starts with a quotation from the person about whom I wrote and ends with a quotation about whom I wrote. And then there are alignment lessons at the end of each chapter that highlight the key points of each person, right? And so you can take something and glean something from each story that will be different as far as businesses there's a particular story and it's about Wally Bloom whom you know he's an ice cream magnet he actually um trademarked moose tracks if you've ever had moose tracks oh, yeah. ice cream okay <laughs> and his story is very business oriented because he Just like, you know, I came from a corporate background. His was actually in the grocery business and in the food manufacturing type business. Um, His first job was actually with Kroger, the Kroger grocery store chain. But he decided that he wanted to create his own um, entrepreneurial venture again very late in life. And he went out very late in life, post the age of 60 again, to basically uh, create this ice cream uh ice cream brand. Right. And so the lessons that you can take from him from a business perspective, he, he says you've got to know and understand your business. So, you know, if you're gonna get in somebody else's game, you need to get smart on that game, right? And understand what drives that business, what the critical success factors are for that business. Realize that your business and your company and your team need structure. They need metrics. They need to be held accountable to those metrics. And then his his final um, point, which I think is beautiful, is tie your life and your business again. This is the concept of alignment to a power and a purpose greater mm. than yourself. Mm. It's not enough to just make money, right? Mm. You you know, you, and again, you've said it best when you say ten percent of whatever it is that you're building in your business goes to the charity of your of your client's choice. I think that's right. beautiful. because, I, And again, he does the same thing. Wally Bloom does the same thing in his business. So I think that point is something that all of us, regardless of whether we're an entrepreneur or whether we're in a company, can absolutely embrace.
0: Well, and I, I think it also gets down. I mean, one of the other things that we do uh, or, or that we are doing in the new company is we're also setting uh, 10% aside in an innovation fund. And that innovation uh, doesn't necessarily have to be technology, although we are a technology company. But the innovation may be in, in helping other people understand how we're shaping our, our company based on this new balance sheet concept. And so innovation in helping to redesign other businesses uh, you know, to follow that lead and to show that you can be more profitable by giving back and yeah. sowing into others. And, you know, maybe we use that money also, you know, to do strategic acquisitions if, if that's the right thing to do as well. But you can't say you believe in innovation if you don't put your money where your mouth is. And I think the same thing is true of giving back. You can't claim to be philanthropic if you don't follow through and demonstrate that, you know, you give people time uh, to go volunteer and to, you know, get involved in the community and that that is actually a, a valued uh, commodity, if you will, with within the company of, of people who have that heart of giving.
1: Yes, and I think it builds tremendous teamwork. When I was, you know, when I had large teams, we made it a practice that every month we did something for those less fortunate whether that be um cooking mm-hmm. a dinner at Ronald McDonald house whether that be going to work in a soup kitchen um whatever it was and I'll tell you those outings as a team were what built that team you know right. we, it was we had a shared interest outside of work and it was a beautiful thing it really built synergy
0: right right so we have time uh, left for one more story so uh, what would you like to share with us? Well, let me think. Which one would I like to share? Let
1: me just look at my my table of contents and just see which one might might jump out at me. Well, Catherine Jewiston is one that I think is really uh, really kind of an interesting story. And again, I don't think I realized her story until I started researching for this book. But Catherine Jewiston, people may recognize her. She was the on Desperate Housewives, she was the older woman um, on that show. Uh, that ultimately, she won several Emmys for her role, um, you know, in Desperate Housewives. But her story to me was absolutely remarkable. She was a married housewife to a very successful doctor with you know, two point five children um, in upper middle class America, and she ultimately. Realized that this was not really how she wanted her life to continue. She wanted to be a performer, so she literally uprooted herself again, uber late in life, and went to become a Disney street performer. So she went to Disney. Oh my goodness! And became a street performer. I know at at, at Disney World, and basically, you know, went to a cattle call, got the job in Disney, and that's what she did. And she, of course, was eating hand-to-mouth at this point, because she wasn't making hardly any money. And, but it gave her the courage to pursue that dream of being a performer. So she, you know, five short months later, she goes out to Hollywood, lands a job, her very first part, and basically the rest is history. And this was very, very late in life. And, Um, you know, at 55 years of age, that was when she arrived in Hollywood. You know, most people go to Hollywood when they're in their late teens or early 20s, and she didn't, and she won two Emmys, um, you know, at the age of 69. So, you know, her story, again, just reemphasizes that, you know, follow your heart, do what it is that you love to do, right, and trust and have faith that if you pursue it and you work hard enough, you will achieve what it is that you are to achieve, even though it was very late in life. And so I loved her story because I don't think I realized that she didn't arrive in Hollywood until she was 55. You know, that to me is just amazing in and of itself.
0: Well, and I know that it was your heart that with this book that these transformational stories would light a spark with people. and, And no matter what their age and where they are, in their life, that they could uh, use these stories as inspirations to take back control of, of their life and to make sure that they're in, in alignment with themselves and, and really understanding their purpose. And, you know, I think that you've, you've done just a fabulous job of that. Oh. So uh, thank, oh. thank you for taking the time to write this book because, oh. you know, I know how much of an investment of time it is, uh, oh. you know, to get this done.
1: Well, thank you, Chickie. It was really a a labor of love. And, you know, again, I was inspired writing it, and I do hope that it inspires those that read it. And just to give people the assurance that it's never too late. You know, it's never too late. We always have the power of choice, and it always comes down to how badly we want to make a change. And Mm -hmm. if we want it badly enough, it's simply not
0: too late to create the life that we want. Kristen, if people would like to learn more about uh, alignment... And uh, about you, where can they best connect with you? Um, Well, my website kristenkaufman.com,
1: and um, my name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N.com, and that will take you to my website, and um, where all of this information is there, along with videos and information on the book and
0: alignment, et cetera. Kristen, thank you so much for sharing this time with us uh, today. Again. Kristen Kaufman has been our guest. Her company is Alignment Incorporated, and the name of this book is Is This Seat Taken? It's Never Too Late to Find the Right Seat. Kristen, thanks again, and I just hope you have a marvelous day. I know it's probably a very hot one there in Dallas, Texas. It is.
1: It's going to reach 100, I think. But, Chicky, thank you again for hosting me. And I just have loved reconnecting, and I do hope that you and your readers, or
0: your listeners, I should say, will enjoy the book. Okay, thank you so much, Kristen. And for those of you who would like to learn more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, just go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com, or you can also check us out on Facebook. We have a public group, and then for our members, we have a private Facebook group. So thank you so much, and have a great day.